0: Scripture passage this evening is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1 through 22, which we find there uh, a recording of the Ten Commandments, given once again to the people of God before they entered into the promised land spoken by Moses. This is his final sermon. That can be found on page... 282. Going slow. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor and the tenth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness, and he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. Um, For this evening, I'm also going to read the 10th commandment from uh, Exodus 20, which is found on page 118 of your Pew Bibles. The reason for doing so is the wording in Exodus 20 is slightly different. Ten commandment in Exodus 20. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I have for our sermon this evening as well a New Testament reading. Can be found in your Pew Bibles on page 1521, and that is Matthew 15, verses 1 through 10. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father and mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth. This is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what, a make, these are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. As far as the reading of God's holy word may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people we're also going to be looking at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 44. It can be found in the back of your green psalter hymnals on page 56. The catechism says these words. What is God's will for us in the 10th commandment? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in my heart. Rather, with all my heart, I should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. But can those converted to God obey these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. No one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why, then, does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that the longer we live, the more we we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. That's why the teaching of the catechism. Um, I don't know if you guys are a fan of this, but I am a fan of this. Some of my favorite movies have what are called... Plot twists, or a surprise ending, or something that shocks you at the end—you had no idea that this was going to happen, right? That this is what the ending was going to be. And uh, I would love to give some examples, but then I would have to give you a spoiler alert. So, the, the plot twist is an interesting—it's an interesting narrative effect. Why exactly am I talking about a plot twist right now? Because The 10th commandment is kind of like the plot twist at the end of the commandments. You may have thought to yourself as we went through the law of gratitude and as we focused upon the positive expression of the commandments and we looked at the fact that the commandments are pointing us to the inward reality, the heart, right? That maybe that interpretation wasn't warranted because... What are the commandments talking about except outward actions, right? Don't steal. Don't lie. These are outward actions. These aren't inward realities. And then like the wonderful plot twist it is, the 10th commandment comes in and informs us that in fact you are doing the right thing by looking at commandments 1 through 9 in an inward fashion because the 10th commandment shows us That what's in mind throughout all the commandments is the heart. Thou shalt not covet. In fact, it's interesting that Deuteronomy 5 says you shall not desire. So all of the commandments are being spoken to us in the 10th commandment. Because what's at the root of all of the commandments and our ability to obey them is our desire. Our desire. What is our desire? What is the direction of our hearts? So in order to know uh, what we are called to in redemption, we need to know what God desires, right? So the theme is, God desires that we hate sin and be content. In his righteousness. It's important it's not our righteousness, his righteousness, right? God desires that we hate sin and be content in his righteousness. Now, in uh, point number one, God is going to express this desire in the tenth commandment. Point number two... God knows our inability. God knows our inability to fulfill his desire. And then, point number three, God helps. God helps us to fulfill his desire. Point number one is going to be looking at catechism, question and answer 113. Point number two, catechism, question and answer 114. Question three, 115. So let's look at point number one. God expresses this desire, that is the desire to hate sin and be content in his righteousness. He expresses this desire in the 10th commandment. I'm going to do shorthand. God expresses in the 10th this desire. Look at the question, what is God's will for us in the 10th commandment? This is summarizing, this is uh, ending our our uh, going through the commandments, right? Answer is that not even the slightest thought so here it's pointing us to thought or desire. That not even the slightest thought or desire, contrary to any one of God's commandments, should ever arise in my heart. So, there you go. We are being pointed to this inward reality. And so, if we look back on the commandments, all the way from 1 to 9, we see um, that the reason uh, uh, why we go after any other gods is because we have desires, we have thoughts, we have hearts that rise up within us and lead to outward actions. And that's exactly what uh, Christ is speaking of in Matthew 15. He's saying, these Pharisees don't understand it. They are focusing upon the outward expression. They're saying, these guys don't wash their hands when in reality, what they should be saying is, these guys need to wash their hearts. They need to wash their hearts because out of the heart, flow, and then Christ lists the commandments, all these evil desires, um, lying, uh, slander, sexual immorality, so on and so forth. That is to say that when Paul in Romans 7 says that the law revealed to me my sinful desires, my sinful heart, he says, I would not have known what it meant to covet unless the law had told me, thou shalt not covet. That's important because in Romans 7, Paul is saying that all of the law is summarized in thou shalt not covet because thou shalt not covet is pointing us to the reality of thoughts, desires, heart. I had a conversation with uh, an atheist evangelizing him on the street one time and I asked him why doesn't he like the Christian God? What is it that offends him about the Christian God? And he says, I don't want to be punished for thought crimes. One of the most offensive things to unbelievers is the reality that in God's word, he not only is going to hold you guilty for what you've done, but also for what you've thought about doing. The evil desires who you are in the heart. Well, think about it. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, You shall not murder. I tell you, whoever hates his brother has murdered him in his heart. You said, you've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. I tell you, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. So he did not want a God who could peer into his very heart and know that he is a sinner. He'd be okay maybe with a God who only judged him by outward realities. And maybe many of us would feel that way as well because we think to ourselves when we look upon the commandments that for the most part I attempt to only... Worship God. I don't make any idols or figurines. I, you know, don't steal. I don't. But when we look at the heart, we realize that we fall short. We realize that the summary of the law, love God, love people, is something that is pointing us to the inward reality, and it's something where we fall short. And then the second part of the answer rather, with all my heart, So this is an all-inclusive reality. All my heart. People are getting the motorcycles out. With all my heart, I should always hate sin. Always. All my heart. Always. And take pleasure in whatever is right. You see... The Tenth Commandment wants us to realize that desires, thoughts, pleasures is something that is inherent to our humanity. It's something that we all have. In the past, there's been expressions of the Christian faith called asceticism, where one attempts to beat down those desires, those desires. Pleasures that one seeks after by beating oneself, by depriving oneself for many, many days without water or food. And this is beyond what would be an appropriate expression of fasting. There are other religions like Buddhism that says... All that is evil and wrong in this world is the fact that we have desires. And if we can simply quench those desires, if we can get rid of those desires, then we will finally be free. But God's word comes to us and says, these desires, these pleasures are part of the way I have created you. Because these desires or pleasures have one of two expressions. One, that is towards the evil, the sin, right? Or two, towards me. Because these desires, these pleasures that we seek, it is not enough to simply get rid of, to just not do, right? It's not enough to say we won't do these things It has to be replaced with something far greater, far more wonderful, far more amazing. And that is to say that if God could change our hearts as he has done by saving us in his son and giving us redemption and the Holy Spirit that we might see that actually all that we were seeking for in sinful desires and evil thoughts can actually be found in God. Purity holiness, love, God is the font that never goes empty. You should not have the slightest thought or desire, but rather with all your heart, always hate sin. And you may be hearing this and thinking to yourself, how can I do this? How can I not even have the slightest thought or desire how can I do such where I'm not even contrary to one of God's commandments that would ever arise in my heart? How, how is this possible? Because you're beginning to feel the weight, right? You're beginning to feel the weight of this, of this demand that God has placed on us, right? It's something that Jesus says, if your, if your righteousness cannot exceed that of the Pharisees, God knows, the. God knows our inability. God knows our inability to fulfill His desire, the desire to hate sin and be content in His righteousness. And that's why here at the end of our exposition on the Ten Commandments, the catechism writer wants us to grasp the gospel reality and not the law. Question 114, but can those converted to God obey these commandments perfectly? No, is the simple answer. No, no. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Small beginnings. Probably spelled beginnings wrong. I think I did it right. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some of God's commandments. So if I had time, I would ask you to give me who you think are the holiest people that you've ever known. Maybe we can even list off Bible uh, characters, right? We could think, wow, David, he is a holy man of old. Abraham he is a holy man of old. All these characters that we view in such high esteem, and I'm—I'm I'm sure many of you probably know, but I've got a story to tell you about David. He—he's—he's he's not a very good guy. I got many stories to tell you about Abraham. He liked to—he'd like to, uh, you know, hand his wife off whenever he would go to a different nation. I got stories that I could tell you about Solomon and all the many wives that he had, and how his heart was turned away from God. Not even the holiest. Not even the holiest in this life. They only have a small beginning of disobedience. This, this, is, this is a comfort. That's an emphasis in the catechism. Our only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. This is a comfort because it informs us that God understands our weaknesses And most importantly, you can be assured that God understands your weaknesses because the entire reason His Son, Jesus Christ, was sent into this world to die for your sins is because He knew that you couldn't do this. Because if you could do this, if you could perfectly keep the law of God, then Christ's death, His sacrifice, and His resurrection were unnecessary. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses, but this this question right here, this question and answer in the catechism should not be used by us as an excuse. Because here's the danger. Here's the danger. The danger is that we would look back on commandment 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and we think to ourselves that, yeah, even the catechism says that the most holiest person in this life has only a small beginning of disobedience, so why should I even start? Why should I even start? This is not to be used As an excuse. We are not to say like those who accused Paul. Who said because of the grace of God may we go on sinning. That God's grace may abound. We should not think because God knows our weaknesses. And because in this life we may have only a small beginning of that holiness. That we are not called by the spirit of God. To strive after holiness and and godliness. And that's why it says. Nevertheless. That nevertheless means don't use this as an excuse. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin, they do begin, they do begin. Hear those words, people. They do begin to live according to all, not some, all, not some of God's commandments. And this becomes all the more profound When you realize the reality of sin that we once were living in as sons and daughters of disobedience. When you realize that those who are unregenerate cannot obey the law of God. When you realize that those who are unregenerate are enemies of God. And will not, cannot submit to God's law. This becomes all the more amazing when we realize that because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ has poured out his Holy Spirit upon us, and because we now have the indwelling Holy Spirit as a down payment, that we are able to begin to live according to all, not only some of God's commandments, not only outwardly. Inwardly. That is, that my desires remember my desires are being shifted they are being changed, they are being brought back to God and I'm beginning to realize that all that is wonderful, all that is beautiful, all that is glorious, all that is righteous these are the things that I should think about, these are the things that I should place my mind upon, that I realize now that my mind is being renewed that I'm being conformed to the image of his son, that I realize now that what I truly want, what I truly desire most is not sin, but to love God and to love my neighbor. It is to love my neighbor by not falsely testifying about him. It's to love my neighbor by honoring his wife. It's to love my neighbor by all of these things, by seeking to better his life and to lift his name up. All that we've talked about, the fact that we actually desire such things is a testimony to the work that God has done in us by his grace. To work that God has done in us by his grace. That we should desire such things at all. Be comforted by the fact that God knows our inability. God knows our inability to always perfectly hate sin and be content in his righteousness. But also be comforted by the fact that he who has begun a good work in you will see it to the end. And that's exactly what we're talking about in point three God helps God helps us fulfill this desire Even in even in this, this is amazing. We have a God that does not leave us to do what He's asked us to do, but actually helps us fulfill His desires. This makes me picture what God did when He came into covenant with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm gonna come into covenant with you, and this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put you asleep. And then me, a smoking pot, I'm going to pass through these, these uh, animals that have been cut in half. And this is what God is saying. This is what God is saying to Abraham. I'm going to keep your end of this covenant, Abraham. My promise to you that I will, be, that I will bless you and that you will have descendants among all the nations. God is saying, Abraham, if I don't accomplish your end of the covenant... May I be cut in half. That's what he's saying. So, God makes the covenant, God keeps the covenant. It's all in God. And so, here in this, God's standard for our level of justice, our level of righteousness, is perfection. He requires perfection. Be holy as I am holy. Right? Where does He give us this perfection? In Christ. Christ keeps the law for us. Christ is our law keeper. Christ is the one who perfectly lived according to all one through ten commandments one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Christ kept them on our behalf. And it's His righteousness that we are to be content in. It's His righteousness that we are getting accustomed to. Amongst the Lutherans, there's a saying that sanctification is just getting used to our justification. Sanctification is just getting used to our justification. What's that mean? It means that all the more we become aware of the fact that we are redeemed sinners, all the more we will grow in holiness and godliness. All the more that we look upon Christ who has perfectly kept the law on our behalf and given us all of his holiness and righteousness, all the more we will become holy and righteous. Look at Question number 115. No one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why then does God want them preached so pointedly? So the, the catechism instructs us that the, the, the commandments should be preached. And why do we want the commandments preached? And it gives two answers. Number one, that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness. So growing in awareness of sin, Right? The longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. Now, this is not uh, a motivation of guilt. What this is is that as we grow in godliness and holiness, it's kind of like an onion. The layers of an onion get peeled back, right? And maybe when we were first Christians, maybe when we first started to, to live our Christian lives, the biggest sin in our lives was You know, fill in the blank. That took up so much of our conscience and so much of our mind and so much of our struggle and our battle was focused upon that thing. But then when God has done his good work in us and has dealt with that, we realize that there are other things, other sins in our life that we have to deal with. And therefore, as God's commandments are preached, we are informed as to what it is exactly that God is dealing with us in. What sin that remains that he is dealing with layer after layer. So that's number one, uh, that we, we might be having a growing awareness of our sin so that we might be turned again and again to the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. And number two is that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving. We may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal. So the first is so that we might be confronted with the sinful nature that remains in us and be encouraged to flee to Christ for forgiveness and righteousness. And the second is, and right here in these words, the the catechism is pointing us to what we're going to begin to talk about, and that is prayer, the Lord's Prayer. While praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit. As redeemed believers, as those who have been given true faith by the Holy Spirit, our uh, striving after godliness and holiness is always done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we call, we pray to God that He would grant us the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of His Holy Spirit, that we may never stop striving. We never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image. This continued effort, this continued desire that we would grow in godliness and holiness is something that's given to us by God. And that is to say that if you ever see a believer who is okay in their sin, given up on fighting their sin, pray for that believer. And you may very well consider That it may not be a true believer. Although there are seasons of hardship and difficulty. Even in believers lives. Never stop striving. To be renewed more and more after God's image. To never give up. Never surrender. Continue to trust. And to hope. And to claim the promises of God. To have their yes and their amen in Christ. To know that in this life, we are to fight day in and day out against sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think there's a reason why God does not permit that we would, uh, would reach perfection in this life. The first reason is the person who would reach perfection in this life would be like, wow, I'm perfect. And that's pride, so he's not perfect. The second would be that we would be understanding and aware of one another's weaknesses. That we would proclaim like John did in his first epistle. That he who says that they're without sin is lying and the truth is not in them. Because that sin that we struggle with is something that God uses to draw us closer and closer to His Son. At the moment that we would reach perfection in this life, that maybe we would think now we don't need Jesus. But we are called. We are called to strive after this perfection knowing that God helps us fulfill this. His desire for us to hate sin and be content in His righteousness. And we're called to trust that one day that striving will end. And that one day we will have no more awareness of sin for we will be without it. And that's what the last words of the catechism tell us that until after this life, we reach our goal perfection. We reach our goal, perfection. Perfection is the goal of those who only have a small beginning of obedience in this life. Perfection is what is promised we will reach. Not because of our own righteousness and holiness, but because of the perfection that we've been given in Christ. May we continue to strive after holiness and godliness from the position of redeemed sinners who seek to live a life of gratitude toward God who has saved us in His Son. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your your law, the Ten Commandments, as they continue to challenge us with the sin that clings and remains to us, and they continue to call us to strive and to be renewed more and more after your image. May we, as Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have salvation in your Son, may we never give up as we receive your grace from the Holy Spirit, may we continue to reach for that goal which you have promised us in Christ until that day comes when Christ returns again to bring us and all of his other chosen ones with him that we might live without sin in service to you for the rest of our lives and hear those wonderful words from our faithful Savior Jesus Christ Well done, my good and faithful servant. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.